Hey everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Like Stars Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Pete Goodman, and excited to jump into some more topics with you together. Uh, as I mentioned on the previous episode, I'm doing kind of a short four-episode arc, I guess, kind of a mini-series, looking at some of the difficult, uh, sort of challenging things that Jesus said and did that might kind of rub us the wrong way or make us confused. We kind of started that in the last episode, looking at some of the I don't know, the most meaner things we heard him say in the last episode. And uh, in this episode, I'm actually going to look at one passage that's in both Mark and Matthew, where Jesus actually seems to straight up insult a woman by calling her a dog. And you're just like, what in the world? Why wasn't he canceled? So we're going to walk through that a little bit and see another difficult, uh, challenging aspect of the way that Jesus communicated and some of the things that try to come to us cross-culturally through the scriptures. Before I do a few couple little, just small things, just remember, hey, uh, as I mentioned in my last episode, my audiobook for Like Stars is out. You can find that on Audible or Apple or Amazon, those great places. Uh, if you haven't read the book yet and uh, you're wanting to, if you'd like a free copy, as I mentioned again, over the whole course of these four episodes, I'm going to give them away. You can jump on YouTube right now, leave a comment. Uh, and if you're one of the first people to leave a comment asking for a book, I'll get you one. If you're local, you can pick it up. If not, I can send you a digital copy or give you a free code to download the audiobook from Audible. So I'd love to help you out however I can. And uh, yeah, and if you have been reading it, I'd really appreciate any reviews. If you want to go on Amazon and uh, say what you thought about it or just even share on your social media, I'd appreciate that. And even with this podcast, as always, hitting the like button, subscribing, sharing it is super helpful. And I would really appreciate it if you would help with that. Now, uh, my sponsor for today, for this episode, uh, is a, a real sponsor, to kind of. Um, my sponsor is Diet Coke. Yes, Diet Coke. Uh, listen, unfortunately for you humor enthusiasts, I, I honestly have nothing funny or clever to say about Diet Coke, uh, partly because that would be... Uh, complete sacrilege to the greatest gift mankind has ever been graced by our loving and wise creator, uh, other than Jesus. Uh, but also because uh, it's been it's been quite a few couple of weeks for me personally, uh, with some major transitions happening uh, in, in our world and in our church community. Some of you that follow the podcast from my church, Rise City, know what's going on. Uh, and so really, it, the, the truth is, if it wasn't for this holy nectar of heaven being pumped straight into my veins 24-7, I'm not sure I'd even still be awake right now. Uh, and look, I, just to be clear, I get asked this sometimes, I'm not saying I'm addicted to Diet Coke or anything, okay? Let's not, let's not push the envelope. Uh, however, my daughter did ask me recently what I would do if uh, they found out that maybe there's all this talk about is aspartame good for you, all that kind of stuff. Whatever. She said, Dad, what would you do if somebody scientifically proved that uh, Diet Coke is actually lethal and will take years off of your life by drinking it three times a day like you do? And my answer was quite simple, honey. It was, well, I would die young and happy. That's what I would do. <laughs> Deal with it. Uh, not probably the answer my daughter wanted, but it's the truth. I I, I am addicted. But uh, yeah, I say that kind of joking, kind of serious. It, it has been a pretty challenging season. Uh, my brother-in-law and our lead pastor is transitioning out of the role of lead pastor. And so uh, it's affected my frequency and ability to get some new episodes out to you. Uh, but I still want to keep at it. And there might be some more spacing over the next few episodes, but uh, I really enjoying this topic and want to keep working through it with you guys. So um, we're going to keep talking about some of the difficult sayings of Jesus, starting here in episode two, continuing on 
with uh, this really difficult statement he made uh, to a foreign woman. Now, I heard a statement said, and it wasn't to me, I think it was online or someone, and I heard someone talking and they were talking about today's culture, right? The world today. And they were talking about cancel culture. We all know what cancel culture is, right? Someone says something they shouldn't say and they get canceled online. And I heard this really funny comment. They go, if Jesus was alive today, they'd probably cancel him. And uh, I, when I heard it, I, I thought about that for a second. And I, I was like, yeah, um, Jesus kind of got canceled himself back then. You know, uh, they did crucify him, remember? Uh, and today we're all like, oh, man, that comedian said something. and He got crucified on social media. It's not the same thing. Uh, not the same thing. Jesus absolutely was canceled uh, as the worst way possible. And I really want to, I don't say that just randomly, because there's some ties, as we saw in the last episode. Jesus often spoke very harshly to people in power, and those were the people that ultimately were so angry with him, they got rid of him, they cut him off. But we'll even see here on this episode with this passage I want to look at, that sometimes Jesus spoke and acted in ways that were uncomfortable and made people kind of uneasy. Now, my big question last week was essentially, you know, was Jesus a jerk? And in some ways, I guess my big question this week is, should Jesus have gotten canceled? And I think what we'll see is in both instances, what we have to do is what we did in the last episode, really look through the passages together for culture and context. And when we do, we actually find that even though it might be rough around the edges for us today in our culture, there's really a lot of power and meaning in what Jesus was doing. So I want to look at a passage, and it's kind of long. And I'll, if you're on YouTube, I'll put the words up here on the screen with you. I want to look, this happens in two places in Matthew. I'm going to look in Mark 7. It says this in verses 24. Uh, and moving on, he says, as Jesus left that place, he was uh, in one area arguing with people and he leaves and went to the vicinity of Tyre, or Tyre. He entered a house and didn't want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she, a woman heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. So a woman is in need. She wants something. She comes to Jesus, falls at his feet. The woman, Mark tells us, was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter, which, you know, that's this is the story, right? This is Jesus. People have needs. They, Jesus is the son of God. He, he's God, human flesh. He's coming to people. He loves people. A woman in need, Jesus, please help me. And of course, Jesus responded the way we would all expect him to. And he says, first, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. <laughs> Okay, smokes, Jesus. What in the world are you saying to this poor woman? You can't, you, you just call her a dog? Uh, okay, if there's ever a moment you're like, okay, Jesus, you're getting canceled, buddy. It, I mean, right here. She's coming for your help. She's a foreigner and you call her a dog. Like, what are you doing? There's almost a sense of racism and all this stuff going on. What is happening? All right, so we're going to walk through this a little bit. Not necessarily like a Bible study. But I really want to unpack it because I think there's something profound and powerful in these words. And the way we do it, like I said in the last episode, remember we talked about the style of writing, which here's pretty clear. The style is just a story, but then about context. Context is king. So let's start there. So this interaction happens both in Mark and Matthew. Both of them tell the story. Right after Jesus was in a back and forth with some Jewish leaders. And 
the argument with the Jewish leaders was about what is clean and unclean. And they were arguing about Jesus. You're not washing your hands. You're not cleaning stuff properly. And Jesus responds by saying, you're so worried about the outside. You should spend more time worrying about the inside. Right. And so that was kind of the idea. They were focused on outward things. Jesus was focused on inside. And right after that, this story happens. And then there's some specifics about this story that are so key. that They'll make a lot more sense when you get them. So he leaves his hometown. All right, his hometown, a region known as Galilee, which was a predominantly Jewish area. Everybody there was mostly Jewish. And he's leaving it and he's traveling into a region known at this time as Phoenicia, modern day Lebanon, and its city of Tyre or Tyre. And this was a predominantly non-Jewish area uh, along the Mediterranean coast. And that's so important because we really are talking about things like ethnicity and race here. It's coming into play. Jesus was in his very Jewish area. Now he's traveling to a very non-Jewish area. But it goes even deeper because the book of Mark calls this woman a Greek. Um, and we all know that, that Mark and Matthew were written to different audiences. Um, and so Mark's audience, this was probably more understood language. Uh, now, obviously, when you hear the word Greek, you think of people from Greece. But back then, Greek was kind of a generic way of labeling all non-Jews who spoke Greek. Like calling all English speakers Americans. Oh, you can be Canadian or whatever. But it's just, that's kind of, Greek was like everybody that was sort of didn't, they weren't Jewish or Greek. So in a sense, you'd say that ethnically, she's called a Phoenician. Matthew, who's written to a Jewish audience that would have been more familiar, actually calls her a Canaanite, which was the ancient term for these same people. So in Jesus's day, the Greeks were called, they called them Phoenicians, but the Jews knew these people as Canaanites. Now, if you have familiarity with the Old Testament, this really starts to raise some interesting things because in the Old Testament, the Canaanites, remember, were the original inhabitants of the land that Moses and, the, and Joshua and everyone came and battled war with and drove out in a sense. So this, you got a thousand years of problems between these two people. They were prominent in Jewish history. They were essentially Israel's fiercest sworn enemies. Like Canaanites and Israelites were like at it for a thousand years. They were notorious among the Jews for their idolatry, pagan practices. We read in the Old Testament that Moses and the original Israelites were commanded by God to have nothing to do with them. The two were at war from the very beginning, and they had been. So even though now they were called Phoenicians and Greeks, Jews knew these people as Canaanites. They were the enemy. They were the other. They were the people you don't associate with. And this idea of like Canaan or Tyre and Tyre, this, this area, these people, for the Jews, it was like synonymous with wickedness. And they were forbidden to marry. You couldn't associate with them. And this was even rooted in why their own stories of the Exodus and the conquest and all these things, where that comes from is essentially they believe that God had sent them to this land to dry those people out because of how horrible and wicked they were. And so you're still looking at this, you know, many, many, many centuries later, there's still this sense that these were the, these were the other, these were the people you're against. Uh, you have the story of the ancient king of Israel, Ahab. Uh, if you're familiar with him during the life of Elijah, he was famous for disobeying God and marrying a Canaanite woman from Tyre. The same city. Her name is Jezebel. Her name Jezebel. Yeah, it probably doesn't ring good thoughts. She's the bad guy in the Bible. She led him into horrible sin and eventual downfall of the entire nation. It was all like Canaanites' fault. It's a Canaanites' problem. They're they're our they're our enemy. So a lot going on here. When this woman comes to Jesus, she's not just a random foreigner. She's a Canaanite. 
And what we realize, and it's it's still continuing, even though that was like over you know eight nine hundred years earlier, it doesn't appear to have been much better in Jesus's day. Uh, the historian Josephus, who lived right around a little bit later than Jesus, uh, he's quoted in his in his own book saying that Phoenicians of Tyre, the Canaanites, are known to have the greatest of ill will towards us, the Jewish people. The the enemy went deep; it went both ways. They hated each other. And uh, the really a great uh, scholar of the ancient world, Craig Keener, he talks about how for the Israelite people, the Canaanites, he calls the most morally despised of all Israelites' enemies. Um, and he said, like, somebody hearing this story and even thinking of a Canaanite coming to Jesus would have sort of set a Jewish readers on edge. Like, ooh, what, Canaanite, what? Um, if they held any common racist tendencies towards Canaanites, this was, this was rough, and they most likely did. And so I'm telling you this because of this ethical separation. When Jews looked at Greeks in general, but especially Phoenicians like this woman, they actually had their whole plethora. <laughs> Do you know what a plethora is? Uh, three amigos. They had, a, they had a ton of derogatory terms that they had available to call these people. Ways of putting them down, of insulting them, that constant fighting with each other. One of the most common one was to essentially refer to them as what was like a lowly, dirty scavenger, something less than human. They called them dogs. Now, culture, again, is different because today, you know, dogs like man's best friend. We love our dogs, little puppies or whatever. In the ancient world, that's not the case. The Bible describes dogs as scavengers who devour carcasses and lick blood. Um, dogs were filthy animals. They, they were terrible. They were gross. People didn't like them. Um, so suddenly Jesus' words take kind of a darker tone, don't they? For while Jesus is likely quoting a metaphor about priorities or whatever, you make no mistake, calling a Gentile like her a dog was a grave insult. It was a put down, plain and simple. It was a Jew telling a dirty foreigner, you don't belong in our tribe. This is not for the likes of you, Right. If this took place today, everyone around would have been like, oh, snap. Like, oh, he did not just say that. It would have been a major serious issue. And what's even interesting, when you look at the story, the sad truth is the woman wasn't even surprised. Like her response to this wasn't like, oh, you said what? She almost just kind of takes, like no one was surprised. Because this kind of talk, the, the degradation, the racism, the ethnic separation was a normal and accepted part of their lives. She doesn't even respond to the insult. As you keep on reading, she just kind of rolls with it. Like being called a dog was a typical part of her day. Maybe it was. In fact, Jesus' followers were probably all nodding in agreement at the sick burn against a race of people they despised, an other, an outsider who didn't belong, right? Like, get her, Jesus, you know? And then Jesus, like, this was probably, they were probably cheering at this moment. Because this is what humans do. And just a side note here, right? We, we've created these words like race and ethnicity so we can separate, so we can compare and distinguish one group from another. We find demeaning ways to, to put those who aren't like us down, who don't look like us, who don't talk like us, who don't have our backgrounds, don't belong, so we can feel superior and above. It's like, it's human nature. We see those not like us and we build walls of our differences in order to say we are us and you are you and we're not the same and all these kinds of things. And we talk today about our problems with, with racism in America, and it's true, it's huge, it's such a real thing. There's a real problem in our world, but unfortunately it's not new. 
Like it's not like America didn't invent racism. Stereotyping people and creating barriers and class distinction was a routine part of life in the Roman world of Jesus's day. Now I will point out that uh, it was different in some very key ways in the ancient world. First and foremost is to know that if you were to go back in time and live in the Roman Empire of Jesus's day, you would find that people weren't separated because of skin color. Uh, physical features almost never came into play. That's that's a whole bundle of dehumanizing evil we created in the last few centuries. But there were still plenty of things that created divisions, especially gender. Women were definitely less than men. Uh, culture, where you came from, your, your, your background, your ethnicity, uh, social class, how much money or power you had, literally even just geography. In the Roman Empire, uh, they thought of the city of Rome itself in Italy as the center of the world. And the further out from Rome you went, the less important you were. Like the further away you live from Rome, the less value you had as a person. So different climates, different environments. Like, and so, yeah, they didn't care about your skin color, but maybe if you had too much of a tan, you're like, oh, you're probably, you know, some field workers, right? All the social class, all these kinds of things. Um, gave them reasons to look down on each other and see each other as lesser or greater. Even language, uh, the term barbarian, which sometimes, you know, Conan the Barbarian, like it was not, it was an insult. It was essentially making fun of anyone who didn't speak Greek or proper Latin like a good Roman. Um, someone uncivilized, someone beneath us who goes bar, 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 right? That's how, they were like making fun of Germanic tribes, languages, and things when they came up with bar, 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 barian kind of thing. It was, it was a put down. You're almost like, you're an idiot because you don't talk our language. But again, this wasn't physical issues like skin color, um, nor even necessarily nation of origin. That wasn't really a thing. Um, but whether someone shared the same cultural behavior. Among the Greeks and then the Romans, ethnic identity was more of a social or political construct than a biological one. Like it wasn't like, oh, you're, you have funny ears, so we don't like you. It's more like you're from where? You, you're, you, know, you have this background, whatever. Um, I heard a great scholar say that the Greeks did not see ethnicity so much as disclose it in their actions. Meaning, I don't see your ethnicity, but when you start acting and talking and I hear your voice or I find out where you're from or how much, who your parents are, now I start to build racial divides and ethnicity and all these kind of things. Either way, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not trying to make one, they're all crappy. The world has always been full of ways to demean and separate, to point out how certain people don't belong, don't fit, aren't as valuable. There is a sickness in us as humans. And what is sort of equally disappointing is that this same mentality didn't seem to have escaped the very people that God originally called to be different the Jewish people, the Israelites. And you read their writings, you see they were just as ready as anyone else to put down and reject those outside their circle. In fact, uh, they had a prayer. This was a literal prayer, a Jewish prayer. It said this, I'm quoting, Praised be to you, Adonai, our God, because you have not made me a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. Which is just such a... <laughs> uh, what? I cancel. There's cancel culture. Praise God, I'm so grateful that I'm not one of those lowly women, a foreign Gentile dog or a slave. I, I'm, I'm, I'm so much better than that. Thank you, God. I mean, look, that's a, that's a Jewish prayer. They were praying, literally thanking God for that. The truth is, things like racism and things runs deep. Sometimes it's hidden, sometimes it's overt, but it's within us. When you can make it a prayer, man, it's inside of you. 
But while for much of the world, the separation was about status or culture, for the Jews, it was often about their understanding of religion. And, and you know, it's not being a woman or slave or free. Those aren't really, like, a lot of times it was just as much societal as anything else, but it was often about religion. Again, we've talked about this in the podcast before, You can look at it, but if you go back to these Canaanites, the ethnic group they're opposed to, um, they were actually, now get this, these people were actually Israelites' closest ethnic relation. They looked the same. You could not physically tell these people apart. They, they have roots tracing back a thousand years. It was their lifestyle. For the Jewish people, those people's lifestyle was evil, and God wanted to keep his people away from them. Not out of racism, not because God was a racist or cultural superiority, but because he didn't want them going and following their evil ways. That was the primary reason why he called for some separation. You know, we've discussed this again many times in this podcast, different ways. He gave the Jews special laws and some were moral, but others were about being separate or distinct. There was a sense that you should stay away from their practices and the things that they do. So that food and purity rules and Sabbath and all these kind of things distinguished them and, and created separation. But really at the core of it, it's just so important to remember that the being Jewish was never about race or ethnicity at all. What made a person Jewish or part of the people of God was whether they chose to adhere to the law and make God king of their lives. Those who did lived and looked differently on purpose. Their lifestyle was distinguished from others. And in fact, anyone from any nationality could become Jewish. You didn't have to be born into it. You could, you could become Jewish if you're willing to fully obey the Torah and be circumcised, yikes, <laughs> obey the law, all this stuff. And people did. People converted to Judaism all the time. So again, we're not talking about like physical blood relations all the time or where you come from. You could come from anywhere and become Jewish, but being Jewish meant you took on these rules that made you look different than others. And herein lies the problem. And we've, we've touched on this before. I'll bring it up again. What God originally intended as a means of distinguishing his people, of saying, hey, I don't want you to Google that kind of behavior, became just one more way for people to keep others out, to be just as racist and segregating and as the pagans were supposed to be. They were supposed to be different then. They are doing the same thing. They had the same sinful sickness and religion to justify it. These laws that were intended to make God's people stand out actually became barriers that kept other people from getting in. And now you're starting to see it with this woman. But this completely misses the point. And, and this is a lot of the New Testament, a lot of Paul's arguments. Like in Romans 2, Paul says, a person is not a Jew who's only one outwardly. No, they're one inwardly. Something of the heart. Uh, he's saying like, we're missing the point if you think this is about physical things or exterior or where you come from or who your parents are. What God is doing is all in the heart. Which all of that brings us back to this weird passage. So right after Jesus argued with some religious leaders, some Jewish religious leaders about what was clean or unclean, don't worry so much about what's on the outside, worry about what's on the inside, right? You're so worried about the outside. Am I following all the external rules? And he's like, what about what's actually on the inside? What about what actually matters to God? You now see this story where Jesus mentions a scavenger unclean dog. Um, which is the primary reason why Jewish people chose that because dogs were unclean. They they weren't what they were, you know, they're, they're, they did, did things that you're not supposed to do in God's, God's economy. So was Jesus a racist? <laughs> was Jesus a mean person as we talked about last episode? Joining the crowd and putting down the outsider? I don't think so. And as I've studied this passage and really dug into it a lot, um, there are a lot of great scholarship that talks about this and it shows a different angle of it. 
I think what he was doing was, and we'll see this in a minute, I think Jesus was using a racial connotation, an idea that was common, not to insult the woman, but actually to demonstrate something to his followers. For while they were all probably happy to hear him put her down, right? They were probably cheering, like, yeah, Jesus, you get her, you put her in her place. What came next must have just driven them nuts. Because after he makes this statement that essentially calls her a dog, she replies by calling him Lord. Now get this, this is in Mark 7. This is the only place in the entire gospel of Mark where a person addresses Jesus as Lord. Think about that. It's the only place in the entire gospel of Mark where a person calls Jesus Lord. And who does it? (laughs) A Canaanite heathen dog an outsider who's not part of the group, someone that they would never accept, someone who they thought has no business being part of anything they're doing, calls him Lord before they do. Ah, do you see what maybe is happening here? I think that Jesus was using this occasion to actually challenge some deeply rooted prejudices in the hearts of his disciples. I think what's happening here is Jesus was using this not to speak to her, but to speak to the listeners. They would have all been nodding in agreement with the routine humiliation of a race of people they despise, an other who didn't belong, and he begins the way that they would expect and approve of. First, ignoring this female Gentile dog, and then once she won't take her cue and leave, an ethnic insult to put her in her place. It was as if Jesus was essentially saying, I know what you think of these people, and I know how you expect me to treat them. And he kind of starts to. But then what you see is he's actually setting them up in order to challenge some of their beliefs, using their almost own racial anger and resentment, verbalizing their deepest prejudices for them to hear and be challenged. Uh, And I think he was showing his somewhat racist audience who, you know, thought he was only there for them uh, and their little closed community that he was actually there for the world. And that this Canaanite, quote-unquote, dog was just as loved and welcomed as they were. And why? Because she ends up possessing what is ultimately most important. Uh, In the Matthew account, Matthew 15, Jesus answers her. She basically says, well, Lord, I'll take what I can get. And Jesus says, man, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. Here it is. And here's what it has always been about. Faith, commitment, loyalty to God an inner choice to make him Lord and and obey him and trust him. And what Jesus cares about is not the color of your skin or where you were born or what your ethnicity was or what language you speak, what kind of church you go to, whatever, whatever. Whether you will choose to offer your loyalty to God and live like he created you to live, to trust and obey him. Going all the way back to Abraham and the calling of the Jewish people, Paul would later talk, it's always about God restoring our humanity through being willing to trust and obey. Never about buying into our sort of continuing our racial brokenness, human sickness that constantly divides. Jesus came to fix us. And that means removing that brokenness inside of us that constantly tries to separate and segregate and make others small. I believe in Jesus, what we see, and Paul will mention so many times in his letters, that God was about bringing us together, uniting humanity under one common banner known as faith in Jesus. But the Jewish people had taken all the outward laws and made them ways to divide just like we do. Remember that prayer? Thank God I'm not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Notice what 
Paul would later write to the Galatians when speaking of sort of this tension with the Jews. In Galatians 3.26, he says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, all of you, no matter where you come from, Greek, pagan, slave, whatever. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There's neither male or female. You're all one in Christ. Paul is showing how Jesus is actually undermining all of it. He wasn't actually being racist. He was bringing the racism to the surface to just destroy it and dismantle it and show how misguided it actually was. And for Paul and the followers of Christ, this committed faith to King Jesus is what brings us together, not what divides us. It brings down the dividing walls. It, it's what erodes our hardened racist tendencies. What tears down the dividing walls between gender and social class and race and cultural background and all this nonsense how much education you have, how much money you have, or whatever, whatever. And we become united in our decision to obey Jesus, this one king, making one family. In him, all things that once separate us begin to disappear. We're now one community, one people, one family. And this means that everyone's welcome. Even the outcasts, the enemy, even the most, the worst of the world, the Canaanites, they're the Canaanites, they're the people that we fought against with Moses. They're welcome. The social misfit, the less civilized, the one who looks and speaks or acts differently than me. In God's kingdom, there are no second-class citizens. Um, in his great book, Dominion, the historian Tom Holland, scholar, not Spider-Man, uh, actually talks about the way that this radical and, and crazy idea of unity and oneness was so weird to the world of the day. Like the Romans and the Greeks did not understand. They looked at Christians and they're like, what are you doing? It was a complete breakdown of the way things were ethnically and socially. Christians were this just crazy group of people who would befriend and love anyone and everyone, regardless of their race, class, or gender. They didn't care about how much money you had or what you looked like or who your parents were. And it freaked people out. Like you can, you guys can't hang out together. You're different social statuses. You, what are you, you guys are from different, you're a barbarian. What are you being friends for? This is so weird. This is so strange. But what's so cool about it and what Holland also points out is the way that in the end, it won people over. It was in sharp contrast to the barriers, to the ethical line, ethnic lines, to the way that we divided and put each other down. Christianity following Jesus' teaching comes in and rather than continuing these, oh, you're just a dog, get away from me. It says, oh, I know you've been other for a thousand years, but now come on in. If you want to have faith in me, you are welcome here. All of you are welcome here. And the Greek and Roman world at first thought these people were weird and crazy and stupid. And then over time, they started looking at them saying, Actually, I think I like that. It became attractive. A world that was so divided started, found themselves looking at true unity and love and couldn't look away. And I guess I wonder sometimes, um, as Christians living today in the 21st century, are people looking at us and seeing a love and unity so powerful that they can't look away? Or are they just seeing more division, strife, ethnic barriers and racism, and all they want to do is look away? And I think we need to seriously and honestly process where we're at with those things. I don't think the American church is doing a very good job of this. Uh, I, 
man, whether it's politics or racial issues or ideologies or all like we've become so good at putting up walls and telling the world who doesn't belong and who's not part of us, who we don't like, who we're against. And here's Jesus <laughs> welcoming in the greatest enemies um, and telling us in John that people will know you're my disciples, not by the walls that you put up, but by whether or not you love one another. It, that it's our unity that tells the world our faith is real. Our decision to leave behind all the racial and ethical barriers, ethnic barriers, and joining together and being one. This is what was attractive in those first few centuries and eventually turned the entire Roman Empire to Christianity. It was this kind of love for each other, being willing for the rich to give to the poor, for those who had a lot to give to those who didn't have a lot, for those of high standing to reach down and break bread with those of low standing. It was attractive to the world. Now look, and I'll just say this because I know some of you are probably thinking in your head, this doesn't mean that nothing divides us, okay? Faith is real, and faith in a king and obedience to a king will separate and divide people at times. But loyal faith in Jesus is a choice. It's not genetic. It's not based on where you're from or who your parents are, or what your skin is. So having faith doesn't mean we all have to look and act the same. Quite the opposite. God created diversity. Uh, and it's amazing. Christianity is not about making everyone look the same. It's calling us to live like Jesus and worship him together. It's not calling for sameness. It's calling for unity. And when the world is constantly saying, be divided, be different, you're other, you're not the same, Christianity is like, no, no, let's all look exactly the same and dress the same and talk the same. No, no, it's just saying, regardless of how you look, regardless of how you dress, regardless of where you come from, in Christ, we can be united and love each other. To recognize that despite our differences, we are all equal in his family. If we choose to follow and obey him, we are being united under the same king and members of the same kingdom regardless of color, culture, language, political affiliation, preference for how you worship in church, whatever, you are one in Christ through your loyalty to him. And I'll just kind of end with this. I mean, this is the picture you see in Revelation. Revelation 7, 9, I love this verse, I'm gonna read it for you. Um, John says, after this, after seeing things, I looked up and before me, there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every ethnos, ethnicity, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the lamb. And this idea of multiple languages, again, you're talking about a, a culture that was literally racist towards how you spoke. And here's John saying, man, in heaven, we all speak different languages. We're not all the same. We're not all homogenous, but we're all united in our love for Jesus and for each other. And I think in some ways, uh, we better get comfortable with that now. When I was living in Colorado about 15 years ago, uh, we had a, our pastor, we had two pastors, and one of them was uh, a Malaysian. And um, he used to talk about, we were, we were predominantly uh, Caucasian church. And he always used to say, because he was darker skinned, he said, look, just to be clear, there's more of me on earth than there are of you. So you better get down with the brown. And uh, <laughs> like, can you get, I think you get canceled for saying that. His point was, look, like heaven is going to be so diverse, so multicultured, so many different languages, so many different backgrounds, and it will still be united because we're, we're able to be united. We're, we're able to love each other and see past those things because of Jesus. Our faith in Christ means we follow his example. And so Jesus wasn't just being racist. He wasn't putting this woman down. He actually wasn't following the cultural stereotypes. He was sort of riding the wave a little bit waiting for the moment we could totally flip it on its head. He was, he was using this moment they were all expecting. Yeah, yeah he's doing it. He's going to get her. Get her, Jesus. And then showing, actually, guys, I'm getting you. 
you're the ones I'm after. I'm actually, I'm not coming after her. I'm coming after what you think about her because it's wrong. It's misguided. I love her just as much as I love you. And that's something amazing and beautiful about our faith in Jesus. He loves all of us equally. And we, there's no reason for the division. So uh, would Jesus get canceled today? Yeah, probably. <laughs> he was canceled back then. Um, but not because he was a racist. Um, I, it, he couldn't have been further from it. He was the greatest unifying force the world has ever known. Okay, with that, we'll wrap this episode up. Uh, on my next episode, I'm going to go even heavier. <laughs> like, heavier than that? Yeah, heavier than that. Um, what about slavery? Because he even mentioned, like, I don't know, God, thank God I'm not a slave. What's going on there with slavery? You know, and, and talk about racial issues and how these fit together. Um, so I'm just going to dive into it in the next episode. I might, I might need a few weeks for that, so it might not come out right away. But on my next episode, I want to talk about Jesus' attitude towards the idea of slavery. Because it's, it's, I think it needs to be discussed. It's not something we should just gloss over and ignore. Uh, because it's real. It's there. He talks about it. He uses it sometimes in his stories and he talks. To, so we're going to break it down. We're going to talk about it, see it culturally and, and what that means. And um, how do we come away from the scriptures understanding how that fits in there in a way that lets us keep our faith and trust in the Bible? So it's going to be a heavy episode, uh, but I think it'll be one worth checking out uh, when it comes out. <clears throat> soon. And then like, like I mentioned before, uh, again, if you'd like a free copy of my book, be one of the first to comment on the YouTube channel. Uh, and I'd love to get you one. And uh, please like, share, subscribe, all those fun things. And uh, we will see you on the next episode of the Like Stars podcast. Thank you. you me and I burn alive when you're near